Coming up on Podcast 1899, the F-150 Lightning integrates Apple Maps, a massive lithium discovery, and Stellantis battery plans unveiled. Stick around, I'll tell you more. Welcome to a new Patreon producer, Robert Melt. Now, Robert signed up last month, actually, in August. So big apologies, Robert, for getting round uh, now to thanking you for joining up uh, to our Patreon channel. It's where you can get your ad-free feed, so you can pop that RSS feed into your podcast player and also you get the shows first and as soon as they're ready earlier in the day rather than waiting until 5 p.m uk that's midday eastern well good morning good afternoon good evening wherever you are in the world ev news daily is your trusted source of ev information for tuesday 12th of september my name is martin lee and in order to save you time valuable time i go through every ev story i can find on the internet so you don't have to. Now we'll start with some news that will upset the tin foil hatters and those getting paid off by the oil industry who say, oh, you can't have electric vehicles because there's no lithium to make the batteries with. Well, in a groundbreaking discovery, scientists have pinpointed the world's most substantial lithium reserve. It's inside the McDermott Caldera, an extinct volcano, and it straddles the Nevada-Oregon border. It's a deposit estimated at a staggering 100 120 million tonnes, and it dwarfs the previous record holder, Bolivia's salt flats, by 12-fold, previously thought to be the world's biggest reserve of lithium. As global demand for lithium is projected to reach 1 million metric tonnes by 2040, this new find in America could prove to be pivotal. Mining could start as early as 2026. As Elon Musk pointed out, though, on Twitter when he weighed in on this news, he underscored that while lithium ore is quite abundant globally, we just have to find it and mine it, the real challenge is refining. And he emphasised the significance of refining in producing all of the key battery components, uh, anodes and cathodes. I'll pop a link to that story in the show notes. Now, here's a story that won't go down well with the tinfoil hatters and those getting paid off by the oil industry who say, oh, when we all drive electric vehicles, the grid's going to melt. Everyone will plug their cars in and it'll destroy the power grids. Well, check this out. New data coming out that I've got my hands on from the Residential Energy Consumption Survey, spotlighted by the Department of Energy's Vehicle Technologies Office in the US, reveals that EV charging by US households isn't even the top energy consumer. Averaging over the entire US, where, of course, climate changes, some places very hot and need air conditioning all day and some don't, but on average in the US, Air conditioning is the number one draw on your home electricity bill if you own an electric vehicle. The average yearly consumption is 2,775 kilowatt hours. Now, I don't hear those tinfoil hatters and those working for the oil industry saying, oh, we've got to ban air conditioning. Everyone, stop, stop. You've got to ban it because the grid's going to melt down. Because behind air conditioning is EVs, right? No. Behind air conditioning, just behind, was space heating at 2,717 kilowatt hours on average per year. And then obviously behind that's EVs, right? Uh, No. Behind that is water heating. On average, the average household is 2,706 kilowatt hours per year. And again, your mileage will vary depending on where you live and your family and your consumption and the tech you've got in your home. And then behind that, Well, yes, behind that is EV charging for those people they surveyed that do have electric vehicles. It averaged 2,363 kilowatt hours uh, annually. So, again, this is an average. Many people do big road trips, and I'm not 
uh, saying that that doesn't happen. But, you know, 2,500 kilowatt hours annually for EV charging. Well, let's think about that. An average of four miles per kilowatt hour. And I know that some EVs are less efficient and some are more. So go with me on that. Uh, that would be about, about eight to 10,000 miles a year. And again, some people do more. I do about eight to 10,000 miles a year with family, with two EVs. And so, uh, you know, we've got solar panels and stuff here and battery storage at home. But still, um, I don't think that is wildly different to many people listening to this podcast. Some do more, some do less. Interestingly, as well, though, EV charging often happens overnight because you've got the flexibility to do that. Like, you don't drain your EV battery every day. You don't get... Some people do, but most people don't get home with zero battery and then have to completely refill it. You just often top up once or twice a week what you've used, and that's often overnight if you are incentivized through billing, etc., etc., to save some money. So whereas you can't turn off your air conditioning during the day when the grid is fully loaded... EVs will charge quite happily overnight, off-peak, nighttime. It aids in grid load distribution, and the energy consumption actually of an EV actually helps the grid. It's what it's the inconvenient truth that uh, the naysayers really don't want anybody to know, but you and I know it, of course. Anyway, let's move on. Oh, and here's a story that won't go down well with the tinfoil hatters and those working on behalf of the oil industry who say, oh, yes, but EVs aren't going to take off because uh, nobody wants to drive one. Well, this story says that electric vehicles are not only gaining traction globally, but have hit a crucial point. And I'll tell you why this is important. Uh, EV sales, pure electric vehicle sales, now account for over 5% of new car sales in a total of 23 countries, according to the researchers at Bloomberg Bloom, Bloomberg Green, easy for me to say, identifying that 5%. Because if you look at a typical S-curve, a typical S-curve graph is where 5% is the pivotal tipping point, the famous tipping point indicating the dawn. When countries that have hit 5% uh, EV adoption have hit that point, it just goes through the roof very quickly. The UK is at 20-25%, Germany 20-25% month in, month out. That trend is expanding. They've added Australia, Canada, Hungary, Spain and Thailand now on this list of 23 countries that are over 5%. Of course, China way ahead as well. Economists note that technology adoption follows the S curve slow in the early phase, but then rapidly accelerates as it becomes mainstream. Hey, it's a great story. Just don't tell those people that don't want to see electric vehicles and decarbonisation take off. Right, here's a story that won't go down well with the tinfoil hatters and those working on behalf of the oil industry that say, oh, yes, EVs are fine, but what about trucking and commercial vehicles? Because you simply can't use electric vehicles that we need hydrogen. Oh, hydrogen's the future! Volvo has recently delivered three state-of-the-art electric trucks to the Danish industrial giant Danfoss. And what's interesting about this, and EV trucks are being delivered all the time. Now, the Tesla semi-truck takes up all of the oxygen in the room because it's Tesla. Uh, but there's EV trucks everywhere. Uh, Volvo are delivering them to uh, Danfoss. And, and this is why I picked out this story because it's interesting because these trucks drive 24 hours a day. Well, they work 24 hours a day. Now, because of the downtime of needing to load and unload, the to- they're typically 15-minute stops that these trucks do. They are designed to operate non-stop. They are equipped with rapid chargers from God Energy. Now, that's also brilliant, by the way. If you're, if you're going to think of an energy company uh, to sell chargers, what do we call it? Uh, just call it God, right? <laughs> we are the ultimate supreme being. Um, so, 
if you believe in that kind of thing. Uh, according to uh, this story, quick battery top-ups during the 15-minute unloading and offloading stops are all these vehicles need just to get back up to, I don't know, what, 70 80% or something, because it's DC fast charging, and they're offering it away again. And they do this Monday to Friday, like, just week in, week out. Extending charging, extended charging uh, when they don't need it. They don't, these vehicles don't need to work at the weekends. So they do. They slow charge them at the weekends on AC power. Now, they do actually have a 43-kilowatt AC onboard uh, charger, and they use that because it doubles as a power takeoff as well. So you can charge at 43 kilowatts AC, but you can also discharge bidirectionally to run various work functions during the day uh, at the weekends when the, the trucks aren't being worked in the yard. Uh, and in the kind of the factory, the environment that they're in, so that they can power the factories, and then overnight they recharge them. I would presume on a cheap rate as well. But otherwise, in the week, these vehicles work twenty four hours a day, and they're electric vehicles. Holy moly! I love this story. Uh oh, here's a story that won't go down well with the tinfoil hatters and those working on behalf of the oil industry who say, "Oh yes, the EVs will never take off because there's nowhere to charge them." Let me tell you about this. Last month in August, China witnessed a robust expansion in public EV charging infrastructure. Last month alone in August, uh, the China Electric Vehicle Charging Infrastructure Promotion Alliance reported an addition. This is an addition of 61,000 public EV chargers. It's a 40% surge compared to the same month last year. From September last year to August this year, if you average it out, so you know, so you could say, oh, was that, was that just a stellar month? Did they just wait to install them all in August? Well, I've averaged it over the year, and I can tell you that they consistently in China add 54,000 public EV chargers Every single month, 54,000 added a month. And they need it, and China's a big country. Now, I spent a long time today on the CAAM, uh, the Chinese Automobile Manufacturer Association, um, English version of the website, and it was last updated in 2022. And uh, so on the Chinese site with, with Google Translate, I can't for the life of me find out uh, the split of DC-AC charging. Because DC fast charging is interesting, uh, but actually AC charging overnight is really interesting as well. So I don't know the split of these 61,000 new public chargers, uh, but uh, I'll keep trying to find out. Because that's a key part of this story, and I can't find it out for some reason. But uh, there we go. Oh, hey. Here's a story that won't go down well with the tinfoil hatters and those working on behalf of the oil industry who say, oh, EVs are going to destroy thousands of jobs at dealerships all across America. Now, now obviously, the North, De- North American Dealerships Association is very, very strong. But they need not worry. Because in China, where they tried to do direct sales, just like Tesla, and it works for Tesla, and also opening their own stores... Well, it hasn't really worked, actually, in terms of the big EV car makers. Here's one like Xpeng. Now, Xpeng are one of the big names in Chinese EV makers. They're moving into Western markets. They have traditionally had a direct sales channel, and they do direct sales. They have their own stores as well, like the kind of Tesla stores that you'd find in shopping centers. But where China leads, so many others follow, of course, they have now worked out it's just not working as well as having traditional 
dealerships in a strategic shift. They say it's all about enhancing efficiency. And I'm not going to argue with Chinese enhancing efficiency because they know what they're doing. Xpeng is moving away from direct sales and owning their own stores to having a traditional dealership model. They said it just works better for everybody. It works better for the customers. It works better as a point of contact because all of their research proved that service was just as good, if not better, because dealerships are owned by private companies that are incentivized to have a great service. Otherwise, they won't make you know, as much money. It's a valuable resource, they say, to have dealers. Now, obviously, you know, a lot of Tesla fans love that direct sales. And a lot of people actually like them because they hate dealers, right? And I and I get that. I understand there's bad car dealers. There's bad everything. Uh, there's bad estate agents out there. The last two houses we've sold, actually, we've used the same estate agent. And, and there was 10 years between two of those house sales. Um, and when I called up when we bought this place, actually, to sell our last one, it was the same team in the office. I'm like, do you guys never change jobs? No turnover of staff. Great estate agency. I know the owner. Reasonably sized company as well, but everyone just loves their jobs. Like, that's a good estate agent. There are good car dealers. And there are some bad ones. Obviously, they want to rip you off. And there are some terrible estate agents. Oh, goodness. When we bought this place, I fell out with the guy because he kept calling me mate every third word. All right, mate, I'm going to try and get you a good price, mate. But I tell you what, I had to stop him and say, look, I'm not being rude here, but you're not my friend. I'm trying to buy this house for as little as possible, and you're working on behalf of the seller, and you want to get the most money. So we're not friends. I like you. We can be friends, but we're not friends for the purpose of this negotiation. Just the phone line went really silent for ages. I'm like, I don't think I was that mean to the guy. I hope I didn't make him cry. I'm sure I didn't. He's probably a thick-skinned estate agent, but still. There's good and bad of everything, of every industry. And actually, good dealerships can work on behalf of the EV industry uh, we should take a break and uh, when i come back oh also i should mention zika are doing the same thing so xpung are going back to the dealerships Z- zika are doing geely's company zika doing the same thing tried direct sales didn't work out for them um and that's the premium bit as well and they know that they can do things more efficiently um by somebody else looking at all of that after all of the kind of customer facing stuff so anyway there you go uh, i'll be back in a sec and we'll talk f-150 lightning and shell versus tesla and stellantis battery plan stick around back next so yes if you'd like to get the podcast ad free you can do that by being a patreon supporter and you don't have to because it will always be free by the way as we spread the word about evs around the world uh, but for those heroes that do well it's how i earn all my money these days um pay my way pay my bills you can be a patreon supporter individuals or companies uh five ten dollars or more uh patreon p-a-t-i-e-o-n.com slash ev news daily now let's talk about ford's f-150 lightning electric truck boasting apple maps integration not just carplay but integrating apple maps a little bit closer offering the truck drivers a seamless navigation experience and also navigating to charging stations. Same as it works for Google as well. Now, this update revealed via a Ford dealer communication follows the introduction of the same feature in Ford Mustangs Mach-E in 22, 23. Some of the 21 models have it as well. Uh, When tethered to CarPlay, Apple Maps will tap into the iPhone and the vehicle, accessing the vehicle and battery specifics, the state of charge, and suggests charging stops in the right place. Interestingly, Porsche do the same thing. They employ Apple Maps to track real-time energy usage, adjusting the route on various like elevation. Uh, the Taycan, though, much like the F-150 Lightning, enhances the experience if you use the built-in planner because then it'll do things like battery preconditioning, not available with Apple Maps navigation. For non-Apple users, the Lightning offers no particular unique perks, just a different interface. If you're particularly enamored with the Apple interface additionally, 
Ford's new Charge Assist feature simplifies the charging process for drivers to locate, initiate and pay for public charging via the infotainment system, the Ford native system, sidestepping the Ford Pass app if you want to. That feature started rolling out on September 4th. Now, next in the news is Shell, one of those oil companies who is very good at making money out of... Uh, selling carbons, and uh, and for every little carbons they sell, uh, they don't particularly like the idea of losing money to this new world. They got really big into renewables for a while ago. But now they're reportedly mulling the sale of Sonnen. That was an energy storage contender to the likes of Tesla for stationary energy storage. They acquired that back in 2019, about 500 million euros or $535 million. The potential divestment, this has been reported by Germany's Handelsblatt newspaper, uh, could either involve the full stake or majority of it, and it aligns with Shell's recent strategic shift. They've got a new CEO. And this CEO has been emphasising their core hydrocarbons operation and focusing on that. Adding to the transition, Shell inked a deal to offload their energy business in the UK and Germany to Octopus Energy. And this year, they've seen the departure of many of their top renewables executives at Shell. They seem to fall back in love with uh, the hydrocarbons. So uh, I hope that doesn't mean the end, end of Shell Recharge. That'd be a shame as well, because some of the Shell Recharge stations they've been building have got loads of high-power chargers, canopies, uh, food, rest areas and stuff. I've been really impressed with Shell Recharge. It was it was a stinker a few years ago, but they've really improved it. Um, I hope that doesn't get sold off to... Well, maybe they will sell it off to like a sort of a third party that rents space on the sort of Shell land, the, the, the petrol stations. It seems a weird backward move, but no, they know what they're doing. Maybe. Stellantis are next in the news. They've unveiled their state-of-the-art battery tech centre in Turin in Italy following a €40 million investment dedicated to in-house testing and development of the next generation of EV batteries in a pivotal pivotal move in the Stellantis strategy to boost battery production to 400 gigawatt hours a year and significantly try and trim the weight off vehicles. Now, this new tech centre, the Mia Fiori Battery Tech Centre, is 8,000 square metres. It's Italy's largest battery testing hub and one of the biggest in Europe. Just behind this one in uh, Leipzig, Leipzig in Germany, I think that's a bit bigger. Uh, It's equipped with 32 climatic cells for walk-in chambers for battery pack assessments, offering controlled environments with temperatures down to minus 40 degrees Celsius, up to 60 degrees Celsius to really stress test these batteries and a crucial role in evaluating the climatic stress, the lifespan, the durability. And the CEO, uh, the CTO of Stellantis recently set a target to that team to have a 50% weight reduction of the batteries by 2030. Now, I could see over the course of the next seven years how you could trim you know, 5, 10, 20, 25% off a battery. But that is, uh, that is so, there's no way, they said they don't know what the roadmap looks like. But that's the challenge, to halve the weight of EV batteries. Wow, there's so much so much development work with so many super smart people working on this. I can't wait to see what they unveil and they develop. Now, this is a really cool tech. Switzerland's motorway service stations are being upgraded, with 45 of them, to have innovative solar folding roofs, courtesy of DHP Technology. It allows the solar panels to retract automatically during adverse weather, like snowfall or strong winds in Switzerland, ensuring minimal damage and no environmental stress. Uh, the patented design promotes lightweight construction and ensures clear traffic routes for even 
trucks underneath. It's six metres high. And these solar panels, these solar roofs, aim to power the on-site charging at the motorway service stations in Switzerland with battery storage on-site as well. Any excess surplus going to the grid, obviously. Best way I can describe these is, can you imagine a you know an outdoor uh, or maybe sort of a veranda off the back of your house or maybe a pergola at the bottom of the garden or something? And can you imagine sort of a cloth cover and you know you know that runs on the the wires either side and you can either move it back and it'll kind of fold in on itself like a pair of curtains like some sort of tab top curtains where it folds up and you can the solar panels are kind of like that they're long they go the the length of the solar canopies but i'd say they're quite narrow maybe 30 centimeters or a, a foot wide and so they all kind of concertina and fold together when they push them back like a pair of curtains, like I say, and then they and then they draw them out, and it's six meters high. So you can get the trucks and stuff underneath, and it's shade when it's sunny, and big, big solar generation. This is really cool. I love stuff like this. And finally, uh, Octopus EV here in the UK and CoCharger are joining forces, emphasizing community EV charging through CoCharger's platform. Individuals like myself or yourself, if you have a private driveway, and we finally do, it's why we bought this property, because we've always owned properties, old terraces and, you know, turn of the century stuff. We love properties like that, but it was all on street parking and, you you know, or no big driveway. So we moved here to a 70s build just to get more space. And we knew we wanted sort of EV charging on the driveway a few years ago. Um, Well, I do have quite a big drive, got three cars on the driveway, but our neighbor's driveway is next to us. And actually... Our charging cable could easily stretch to our neighbor's car. So what if they wanted an EV that charged charged once or twice a week but didn't want to go to the expense of putting on a, an EV charger on their wall? What if they were renting and the landlord said, no, no, you can't put an EV charger on? What about all those people that can't have home charging? Well, it's not fair to them because I get to charge overnight. I get to charge off my solar panels. I get to charge off my home battery storage. But... If you can't do that, it's not fair. It's a disadvantage. Well, CoCharger fixes that, a shared home charger network, and Octopus have partnered with them. Uh, Actually, if you add together all of the individuals on CoCharger, they say it's the second largest infrastructure network in this country when you add them all together. And it's a really cool idea. Um, I've never tried it, but I'd love to. And so, uh, you know, because we live down by the beach uh, in Poole, in Dorset, and we've got driveway out the front of our house and the side of our house and i you know it'd be really cool if i could i don't know maybe open up our charger because you know you pay for using someone's home charger uh, to tourists coming down to the area with five minutes from the beach and we could say hey park on the driveway charge your car when you're here i don't know for listeners of the podcast or something that'd be really cool for us to do so um yeah, that's uh, that's an amazing story. It just shows the innovation happening in this in this space, and I love it. And that's your podcast for today. Thanks to our premium partners, Phil Roberts of Electric Future, Porsche of the Village in Cincinnati, Audi of Cincinnati East, Volvo Cars of Cincinnati East, National Car Charging on the US mainland, and Aloha Charge in Hawaii. Derek Riley from Nevo.ie and the Nevo EV Review Island YouTube channel. Octopus Electroverse, global public charging made simple with one app and one map, and lease plan electric moments, providing all the tools and guidance EV drive need have a good and see tomorrow and remember there is no such thing as a self-charging hybrid